journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. We are indeed tripping. We're tripping in the Bible and we are following the, the, the what seemingly looks like the unfortunate trip of Yosef, of Joseph, um, now down into Egypt because of the hatred of his brother. So I'm glad you've joined me. I'm Rebertson Adel Kozulski, always excited to spend my Monday starting the week. It's fantastic. Love being with you for the next three quarters of an hour, and we are going to carry on tripping through the Bible. We are in the Pasha of Ayeshe, and we are in chapter 37. Last week, we we finished up verse 26, where it seemed that it just happened coincidentally that uh, when they threw uh, Yosef into the pit and they had all intention to kill him, in fact, a bunch of uh, merchants were on their way down a Yishmaelite caravan and they decided it was far better for themselves to throw, uh, to sell Yosef to them as opposed for them to have actual blood on their hands. If you'd like to follow the story or you missed last week, there's always the High FM podcast. You can go back, uh, look at my look for my show, and you will be able to follow everything that I've told you till now. But we are going to move forward, and we are going to see what, in fact, has happened. So we're in Chapter 37. We're now going to read verse 27. If you'd like to ask a question, it's my pleasure. 34519 is the SMS line. 0618951019, our telegram number. Vaya Avru Anashim Midianim Schorim. There were men. They were actually Midianite traders. They were passing by. The brothers pulled him out, pulled Yosef out of the pit, the Yimkaru et Yosef Yishmaelim, and they sold Yosef to the Ishmaelites, Be Esrim Kasef, for twenty pieces of silver. The Yavu et Yosef Mitzraima. And it was these guys um, that they that brought him down to Egypt. So let's just talk about the value of selling your brothers. No ideas out there. Please do not go sell your sibling, however much you are not in favor of him. But let's see what it is that, um, why they sold him for particularly 20 silver, uh, pieces of silver. So we were, we are told, some opinions hold that it was 20 silver ma'in. Now in modern currency, if you start trying to work it out, it's probably round about 75 American cents. It really was worth not too much. According to another opinion, however, um, the 20 pieces of silver were equivalent to five salayim. So if we had to translate that, we're looking at around about $5. Okay, so again, irrespective of the various opinions, it seems that Yosef was really sold for almost nothing. Now, um, each of the 10 brothers, then if they sold him, let's just call it from 20 bob, 
<laughs> for those 20 pieces of silver, each brother got two pieces of silver. Now, we know that what happened was that Reuven was not with them. If you recall, Reuven was minding his own business. He was in a very sorrowful state. Um, we are told that he was doing chuva. He was repenting. What was he repenting for? A minor sin. He was repenting for the fact that after, after Rachel died, he moved the tent of his father, the bed of his father, from Bila's tent to Leah's tent. Now, this wasn't the biggest, most, you know, terrible sin. Nevertheless, um, it was a sin. And so he was repenting for it, and he tried to save Yosef again. Let's revert back to last week's discussion. So they threw him into a pit, and he figured, you know what, let the, the brothers eat, let them go away, and then I will bring Yosef back safely to my father. So he was away, and the, the 20, uh, 20 talents of silver, the 20 pieces of silver that uh, they sold them for, two went to each of the 10 brothers, um, and Reuven got two of them, even though he was not with them. They put it aside. His, they put aside his share, assuming that he, he would have agreed to this entire principle. Now, what could two pieces of silver in that time with that two dinars, what could it really buy? Nothing more than a pair of shoes. Okay, now, why would you think that they would buy Yosef for such a very small price? He was a strong, he was, he, 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 he was, he was a handsome, he was a handsome guy. Okay, and, um, and he was 17, he was robust. Why did they not sell him for much more? And the answer is, is that when he was thrown into the pit, Yosef was so terrified that he became sick. His face was drawn. It was pale. He was so weak that the amount that they received for him was more than adequate because the Ishmaelites, these Midianite guys, really believed they weren't buying too much of a, of, you know, of a strong guy, of, a, of an active, viable slave. So that is really why Yosef fetched such a little price. The other question that we need to um, ask ourselves is the fact that um, why did the brothers go and buy a pair of shoes? Maybe there was something else that, um, you know, that they could have bought. Why did they buy themselves a, a, a pair of shoes? Well, the answer is, is that when one buys a piece of clothing, um, and it gives one a lot of pleasure, one is obligated to make a blessing on it, a Sheikh Yanu. That is why we have the custom on the second night of Yom Tov for the woman to have a new dress, new, a new, new jewelry, or something of substance that we can make a blessing on. One of the places where we do not make a blessing is on shoes. Shoes are not considered a luxury, they're consider, considered a necessity. So why did the brothers go and only buy shoes because they did not want to buy anything that required a blessing. Why? Because it's forbidden to recite a blessing over anything that comes through sin. Okay? Um, and that is why that's the only thing they bought. They bought shoes. 
They don't have to make a blessing. And as we spoke before, one cannot do something wrong and then expect that one can use it for a for a what's the name for 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 a mitzvah. Hi FM, your station of choice since two thousand and eight. Welcome back, and we are looking into chapter thirty-seven, and we I want to pick up one more thing um, that we need to actually zoom in on, and that is who they sold Yosef to. You can see over here that it says Vayavru Anashim Midianim, that Midianite men, okay, passed. Um, passed through. When you go and look in verse 36, and I'm jumping to verse 36, okay, you will see that their name changed. They're called, if, you, if you've got a Chumash in front of you, just flip over to verse 36, Hamdanim. They're called Hamdanim. Now, Hamdanim are different to Hamidianim. They sound similar, but Midianim and Midanim are two different nations. So why is there been a swap? So the word Midianim has the root din. Din means litigation. It can also mean strife. So when the Torah says that the Midianim were passing through, that's who Yosef was sold to, it means that strife and con- contention all the strife and contention that they had with Yosef passed and ceased to exist. Meaning once they sold their brother, they felt much better. The Midianim passed through. The strife and contention passed through. Now, obviously, and we've spoken about it many, many times, all of this was directed by divine providence. Okay? Um, And even though there was all this that they were upset um, about a fancy coat um, and all of that, we know and we've spoken about it that there is a higher there is a higher state of existence, there's a higher reality and in that higher reality one comes to recognize that in fact everything is by divine providence and it is us, it is our job in this world to make ourselves sensitive enough to understand and to see that God, in fact, is running the world. I know that uh, just having this consciousness, this understanding, um, one one actually gets an incredible insight into the comings and goings of what's happening. You don't get so upset when things don't go your way. You don't have to get frustrated when you are... uh, you know, stuck somewhere or you find yourself in a place you don't want to be because we are always where we need to be right now. And so while on a surface level it looked like the brothers conspired, that it just happened that uh, um, a caravan um, train of Yishmaelites were passing by, on a much deeper cosmic level, what was actually happening was in fact that... Um, all this was divinely orchestrated. <coughs> Excuse me. Right. So that is um, why they changed the names, because they were, in fact, um, not Midianim. 
they were in fact Midanim, which were different people to the Midianites. Now let's see the drama, verse 29. Ruven comes back to the pit, obviously by himself. And behold, Ain Yosef Babor. Yosef was no longer in the pit. Vayikra et begadav. He rends his clothes. He, tell, he tears his clothes in, in, in grief. Now, at the time that Yosef was, um, was, was being sold, we went and said that Ruven was sitting and mourning. Now, why, we, we explained why he was sitting and mourning. Okay, he had moved away from his brother, his brothers, um, because uh, they were eating, and part of his repentance was that he was in fact fasting. Now, Reuben is praised for his initiative in in repentance. In fact, the midrash goes and tells us that God said to 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 Reuben, "Until now, no one has sinned before me and repented." Now you, Ruvain, has opened the door for repentance, and by your life, one of your descendants will be the great prophet Hoshea ben Be'eri, and he too will publicize the greatness of repentance, and you will say, Shuvah Yisrael, Shuv Yisrael al Hashem, return Hashem, return Israel to Hashem your God. And they and he will teach that repentance can be reached, reached up to my throne of glory. Now, one can argue, of course, that we know that um, Adam, Adam and Cain also repented for their sins, but they didn't repent until they, they were told to. They were threatened by punishment. Reuven, on the other hand, repented spontaneously before his sin had any consequences at all. Okay, um, and again, it wasn't even such a major sin. We spoke about the fact that he moved Yaakov's bed out of Bella's room, and, and that really, really wasn't a sin. Nevertheless, he is praised, and it is something, it's a lesson for all of us. You know, we must not wait until there is a repercussion, or our backs are against the wall, or we are called out in order to say, I'm sorry, and to repent for something wrongdoing. If you have done something wrong, then be brave enough, as Reuven was, to say, I'm sorry, repent. What does repent mean? means to, A, recognize what you've done wrong. B, say, I'm sorry. Three, make a conscious decision not to do it again. And if that which you did requires rectification, whether it is through money, whether it is through um, any other means, then go ahead and do it. Be big enough to say, I'm sorry. Now, Ruvain um, was chastising himself. He was repenting for himself. And he wanted, um, as we said, for him to bring Yosef back to his father. Um, and he hoped that by, by the, by the what's the name, by, by bringing Yosef back to his father, that his father would forgive him. Once he saw that Yosef was gone, he was hysterical. Vayashev el Echav, he goes back to his brothers. Vayomar, and he says, Hayele the boy is gone. Ve'ani ana ani ba. 
And now I, where, where, can, where can I go? Now, let's understand why he was so hysterical. Well, the first thing was, and we spoke about it, I think, two weeks ago. He thought that when he moved the bed out of his, out of Billa's house to his mother's house, he had lost his status as a brother, right? When he heard the dream of Yosef, and in Yosef's dream, 11 brothers bowed down to him, he was reassured, and the dream showed him that he was still considered one of his brothers. But now, Yosef was gone. Now, what, where was he? Now you can get into a flap. Where can I go? Where can I find the assurance? How am I going to go? Not, not only has Yosef himself gone, but now does that mean that I myself um you know i'm i'm chucked out so he 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 was using him in a in sense yosef for his selfish reasons he's also held accountable for something else and i think that this is something that needs an absolute shout out okay um his brother's life was in danger and at that point in time he was busy engaging in fasting and praying. And the Torah holds that against him. There is no um, justification for a person to be holier than thou, to make his time for fasting, make his time for repenting, and fixing up all that he is when there is another life in danger. And in this case, particularly, I think the message is even stronger in that Yosef represented the teenager, represented the young person who was in trouble. He should have forgotten about his spiritual stature and he should have done everything right there and then in order to, to what's her name, to, uh, to, to, to save him. And so this is a cry out to all of us as parents, as educators, as adults. We should never, ever, ever turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to our children, to our teenagers, when they are crying out and they are needing us for support, for advice, for all of those things we can't go and say, well, like, I'm just really too busy right now. I'm working on myself. I'm trying to do X, Y, Z or A, B, C. One needs to know that one needs to set aside one's spiritual stature and one needs to, you know, move. And because he didn't, okay, because he didn't, um, this was held against him. Now, um, there is one other opinion that says that Reuben literally did rescue Yosef from his brothers. And what he did is he himself put Yosef in a pit filled with rocks. Because we know if we go back to verse 21, which I'm just going to flip back to. If you're following in the Chumash, please do that as well. It says here in verse 21, Reuben heard, he saved Yosef from their hands. Let, let, let us not kill him. 
So one opinion went and said that Reuben literally did rescue Yosef from his brothers. And he kept him in a pit filled with rocks. Okay. And what he did was that he had intention later to, to take Yosef out of the pit and return him. But the brothers, when they saw the caravan of Ishmaelites, they figured, okay, they, 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 they need to take Yosef. And so they pulled Yosef away from Ruvain by force, and they threw him into another pit with snakes, which made him all nervous and all pale, and then they sold him. So this situation, again, was one of a lot of tension between Ruvain particularly and the brothers. So off Yosef goes to Egypt, Vayikhu et katonet Yosef, they take the coat of Yosef, Vayishchatu seir izim, they slaughter a goat, Vayitbelu et katonet vadam, they dip the coat in blood. Now, a little kid, a little goat, yields very little blood, okay? It would have seemed better for them, more logical for them, to slaughter a sheep, but we're told the reason why they um, slaughtered a kid is because a kid's blood is very much like human blood, and they were more likely to fool their father. So they drizzled blood on it. They also tore it. They used the spears, and they frayed it to make, make it look as if Yosef was eaten by an animal. They sent the long, colorful coat. And it came to their father. And they said, This is what we have found. Try to identify it. Is this your son's coat or not? Who did they send? So we are told that Leah's children sent the coat to Yosef, to sorry, to Yaakov, with the sons of Bila and Zilpah. If you recall again, going back, the sons of Bila and Zilpah were not um, against Yosef per se. They knew that they, in a sense, were the sons of the maidservants of the mothers, and so their jealousy wasn't as much. Some go and say, another opinion says, the brothers actually cost, cost lots to decide who should bring the coat and that the lot fell on Yehuda. So here now, presented to Yaakov is a torn coat in many places and um, with sp their the spears and swords having, you know, pulled it apart, making it look as if he was attacked by a wild animal. Vayakira. He recognizes it. This is verse 33. And he says, Ketonet b'ni chaya ra'a achaltu Taraf, Toraf, Yosef. It is my son's coat. An evil uh, be wild beast devoured him. My son, has, my son Yosef has been torn to pieces. He did not. He saw what he saw. Ya Yaakov, but he did not, he could not reconcile the belief that the prophetic understanding that he knew that Yosef should be alive, okay, but he had to see is what, what you see is what you get, and he said from the looks of 
the coat, Yosef certainly was probably mangled and is now dead, but I'm still not certain what happened to him. Like it was an anguish of not knowing more than an anguish of just coming to terms with the fact that Yosef was no longer. And this is what we see. Vayikra Yaakov Smolotav. Yaakov tears his robes in grief. Vayasem sak b'motnav. He places sackcloth on his loins. Vayitabel albano yamim rabim. He mourns for his sons many days. Now, um, I want to have a bit of a discussion about mourning. Mourning is appropriate. Mourning is necessary. It is an important spiritual, psychological, and emotional tool for, to allow one to adjust one's life after losing a loved one. And while the, the Torah mandates different times and spaces for mourning, what the Torah does not mandate is excessive mourning. There comes a point in time where one has to come to a place of understanding, of, so to speak, resignation in understanding that this is what it is and now we need to move on with our lives. And in fact, um, Hasidus, and it was something that the Lubavitcher Rebbe stressed a lot after the passing of his wife, that that the living should take to heart and the way to mourn appropriately um, once the official mourning, the, the, the seven days of Shiva and the Shloshim and the year, if it's for, for parents, um, once that is over, one needs to take to heart and do positive um, and good deeds in the name of the deceased. That not only brings healing and solace and a place in heaven for the deceased, but it also brings a tremendous amount of peace and solace to the bereaved that are left behind. Seemingly here, Yosef, um, Yaakov did not hold to those principles. He mourned for his son many days. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Any comments, any questions, 34519, our SMS line, 061-895-1019, our telegram number. So how long did Yaakov actually mourn for Yosef when we said that it was excessive? We're told he mourned for Yosef for 22 years. Pretty excessive, right? How do we come to 22 years? Well, Yosef was 17 years old when he was sold. He was 30 years old when he stood before Paroi, so that is 13 years. So there was 13 years until he became Viceroy. Then we had the seven years of abundance. Um, so that goes 13 plus 7 makes 20. And then as we will see later on in Parashat Vayigash, Yaakov emigrated to Egypt after two, two years of famine. So it was 22 years, meaning that literally from the time that um, that he was sold until Yosef sees him back in the flesh and blood, Yosef, Yaakov mourned. Now, 
Why did Yaakov deserve 22 years of grief? We're told that in life, everything is meta connected meta. For every action, there is a reaction. For every cause, there is an effect. For every effect, there's yet another cause. Now, um, the same thing happens in the divine world. Um, every good action that you perform will never, ever, ever get lost or undone or unrecognized. It will always be recognized. And somewhere along the line, you will, maybe not immediately, you will get your reward. And the vice versa is also true. So we're told that Yaakov deserved these 22 years of grief because he was away from honoring his parents for 22 years. If you recall, he spent 20 years with Lavan. When he came back to Israel, he spent 18 months in Sukkot, and he spent six months in Beit El, and that made up the 22 years. Now, you can, or you may ask the question or argue, that in fact, before the 22 years at Lavan, he spent 14 years in Yeshiva. That's not um, that, 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 that is not considered as being away from his parents because the learning of Torah, the study of Torah takes precedence over family obligations, including honoring your parents. So he wasn't held accountable um, for that. And that's why, if you recall, when Yaakov was taking leave of Lavan, he said, this has been for me 20 years in your house, meaning for me, it's been counted against me. Not the 14 years that he was in the academy. And he says, I will pay a very high price because I was unable to honor my parents. We're also told that Yaakov deserved this because of the grief that he caused Yitzchak when he took Asaph's blessing. If you recall then, what happened was that um, when he walked in, it said what? Isaac had a great fit of trembling. You can go look back at that in verse in chapter 27, verse 33. Now, God, Hashem, is very, very exacting when he comes to, to tzaddikim, to holy people, and he will, he will punish them for, for a hair's breadth. Yosef's deception of his father when he came to, to get the blessings involved what? A wearing of coat of goat's skins on his arm. So he too, like he deceived his father with goat skins, now he too is being deceived with a goat. His son slaughtered the goat, they dipped the goat in the blood and said that a wild beast had devoured Yosef. So can you see? The punishment fits the crime. Okay? Um, and also he felt a tremendous amount of anguish when his son said to him, is this your son's coat or not? It was as if they said, we cannot recognize whether or not it's Yosef's coat. Because you never made us coats like it. You only had one made for him. It is as if he was your only son and we are not. And so he replied, Yosef has been torn to pieces. What was he really saying? He wasn't only torn to pieces practically, um, it wasn't enough that the, 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 the tragedy now had overcome uh, Yaakov, but he said, look, look at the hatred that, that brought them to this. They didn't even want to mention his name. They said, is this your son's coat or not? As if he was a stranger. So you can just imagine 
the immeasurable grief that overtook Yosef. All his sons and all his daughters got up to console him. He refused to be comforted. And he said, He said, I will go down to my grave mourning for my son. And his father wept for him. So, look, we know that he's mourning. And, you know, he, he says, I'm going to go down into the grave. It said that he was, comp- that he, 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 in the previous verse, it says, bel yamim rabim. He mourned. So why are you saying, aviv? his father was crying for him. Obviously, if you're mourning, you're crying. So the Midrash comes and tells us that his father wept for him, actually refers to Yaakov's father Yitzchak when Yitzchak because Yitzchak was alive still I think he lived another 12 years okay um, after Yosef was taken away so grandfather Yitzchak was around for the whole story so when Yitzchak we're told when Yitzchak was with Yaakov he joined in the morning out of respect for his son's feelings he cried but when he was alone we are told that he put aside the deception because he knew Yosef wasn't dead. He knew through prophecy that his grandson Yosef was alive and well. He didn't want to reveal it because he figured if God doesn't want to reveal it to Yosef, why should he? Um, Now, again, let's talk a little bit about the excessiveness of the morning. And I'm going to um, preface it with, uh, with, with a discussion in the Gomorrah of a noblewoman who once asked uh, Rabbi Yossi, she says, why did Yaakov refuse to be consoled? Like, he's, he's a tzaddik. He's a man of faith. He should understand. Like, if you have faith, generally people with faith find it easier, easier to come to terms with the fact that there's the, the, the um, immortality of the soul, that in fact there's resurrection of the dead, that one day we will be reunited, that you know the soul is on a journey. There's all of these comforting and, and understanding things that allows us to diminish okay, um, our mourning. So why did Yaakov refuse to be consoled? Where was his belief in the immortality of the soul? Where was his belief in the resurrection of the dead? Rabbi Yossi replies, for the dead, one can be consoled. But there is a, div- and, and there is a divine decree that the deceased shall be forgotten after 12 months. Once one goes through the first year, as the years pass, it eases. I'm not saying gone away, but it eases. But when a person is still alive, but is considered dead, there is no consolation. We've still got to dissect that. What this is 101.9 Chai FM. Chai FM 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, let's understand um, just very quickly what ya- uh, Yaakov was saying. So Yaakov, Yaakov was in a state of ambivalence because when one does not see physically, a grave, one does not see 
a coffin, there is always that niggling hope that one is one is still alive. Okay, um, so the decree that a dead person is forgotten after 12 months is only if that person is buried. When the deceased is buried in the earth, he's forgotten. But if he's not buried, he cannot be forgotten, even after a very, very long time. Let's look at the poor mothers whose anguish of the IDF soldiers who disappeared, um, I think it is in Syria, Lebanon, um, and they still haven't been found. So what does Yaakov say? Can I go down to the grave mourning for my son? Because usually when a father loses a son, he can go to the grave, son's grave. He can cry, and this will allow his heart, his heart to be consoled to some extent. So when he was saying, Ki ered al-bani, that I, I, how can I go down to, to my son's grave? I can't be consoled because I don't have a grave to go down to. Also, Yaakov had received a tradition, a prophecy, that none of his sons will die during his lifetime. Um, and if none of them die during his lifetime, he would not experience the punishment of purgatory. Now, if Yosef was dead, this was a sign for Yaakov that he would not escape divine retribution. That's why he says, Ki ered al-bani avel sho'ila. I will go down sho'ol, mourning for my son. Sho'ol is one of the names of purgatory. And more than that, ya Yaakov started chastising himself that he shouldn't have sent Yosef away without accompanying him. Because as we discussed in Parshas Vayera, when someone sees a person off on a journey, God protects him. And he knew that Joyce's brothers hated him, and so he felt unbelievably responsible for uh, his son's death. So he says, I will go down to Sheol, mourning for my sons. Now, why did Yaakov's sons and daughters, remember we said that every brother was born with twin daughters, so all of them came, they, they came there, they tried to tell Yaakov, look, you've got such a huge family, there's 11 sons remained, you need to move on, but the bottom line is, is that that, that did not console him either. Um, one of the last things that went through Yaakov's mind, and with this will end, is that when he wept, he said, how many struggles have I gone through raising 12 sons? They're destined to be the 12 tribes. There are no fewer than 12. They must parallel the 12 signs of the zodiac, the 12 hours of the day, the 12 hours of the night, the 12 months of the year, and the 12 precious stones that were in the coin that the coin goddle would wear on his breastplate. Now, all, his, all of his wives had already died. Yaakov did not want to marry again to have another son to take Yosef's place, okay? Um, that sat very, very uncomfortably for Yaakov. And somewhere at the back of his mind, he could not find peace. Because if those 12 sons were supposed to mirror everything cosmic, could it be, could it be that Yosef was still alive? Thank you for joining me. This is Revitz and Edel Kozilski, and I wish you all a Shavuot of.